Whether new shooter, longtime gun owner, or even police officer or soldier, your handgun needs a Crimson Trace laser sight or light. Get the confidence and reliability you need to protect family, home, and country. Crimson Trace. Today on Tom Gresham's Gun Talk, Tom's talking training, gun safety, and the latest legal battles, and your range reports and more. To be on the air, call 1-866-TALK-GUN. Now, here's Tom. Well, let me be the, probably the last to wish you happy. New Year! It's Gun Talk. Tom Gresham here. I'm glad that you could be with us. Yes. Unbelievably, it's 2015. How in the world did that happen? My goodness, my goodness. But we're here, nonetheless. Seems as though 2014 just blinked and it was here and gone. But there were a lot of things that happened in 2014. We'll be talking about that a bit. And we'll look forward, we'll look toward what we think may be happening in 2015, and I'll be looking for your comments, your thoughts, your firearms-related resolutions. What do you have on your wish list? What do you I mean? Are you going to shoot more? Going to get the training, become a firearms instructor, get involved that way? I got an email from somebody said he's going to commit to becoming more active in gun rights. Of course, part of that is becoming better informed. That's part and parcel of the whole thing. I know some people who say, I just, I'm just i going to take more people out shooting. Do you have any firearms resolutions for 2015? Any thoughts on that? Or maybe it's just, I'm going to buy something I've always wanted. Or I'm going to get involved in a, a type of shooting I've not done before. What's on your mind? What are you thinking as you look to 2015? There were an awful lot of things that happened in the last year, um, one of the things that was interesting is that Illinois, if you remember right, about a year ago, got concealed carry. And of course, it being the last state to get concealed carry, we had the media and the gun banners telling us that blood would run in the streets and every fender bender would become a shootout, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same thing we've heard in dozens and dozens and dozens of states. And then I just printed out a... Um, a story from yesterday. Authorities call year-old concealed carry law a non-event. Yeah. For us, this is a quote. For us, it's been a non-event, said Joe Gallo, deputy chief with Champaign Police, Champaign, Illinois, echoing a similar sentiment as law enforcement officials in other counties. Basically, throughout the state, the law enforcement officials all go, huh, wow, nothing happened. Hmm. Who'd have thought it? <laughs> We're thinking, well, if you had been willing to look at the track record over the last 25 or 30 years, over all the other states, you would have realized that basically nothing happens other than the fact that tens of thousands of people now are allowed, permitted, equipped, prepared to protect themselves and other people. That's one of our, our, our major accomplishments. There have been some others along the way. We've also had some losses, and we'll talk a little bit about that. There's really nobody better, because you need the long view. If you're going to say, all right, what happened this year? You have to be able to put it in perspective. And if you say, what's 
down the road for us in the next year, you, again, need perspective. And when we're looking for perspective on gun rights, we go to Alan Gottlieb from the Second Amendment Foundation. Alan, Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year, Tom. It's great to be with you and your listeners. Well, all right. Well, we're just kind of going over. Man, there were a lot of things that happened in 2014, and frankly, a lot of them were very good for us, were they not? Mostly they were very good. That's correct. There were a few little problems in some places, you know, particularly in some of the uh, blue states, you know, New York, Connecticut, Maryland, uh, Colorado, I mean, California. But by and large, for most of the country, gun rights got expanded. Certainly true. And we, we made a lot of headway. And in fact, one of the interesting parts, right at the end of the year, we got the results of a new Pew Research poll that said more Americans think it's important to protect the Second Amendment than it is to control guns. And that was the first time they'd ever gone over the 50% mark for Americans who believe in supporting the Second Amendment. What do you make of that? A couple things. Uh, I think what contributed to that is the fact that, uh, again, terrorism has raised its ugly head around the world, and people realize that we are the first responders, and, and guns need to be a means of defending yourself, for one. Mm-hmm. Two, we look at some, some civil dis- you know, dis- riots and things around the country in Ferguson, Missouri, and other places, uh, and people realize that, you know, hey, if I'm going to protect myself, my family, my property, I'm the one who has to do it. I can't wait for the police to respond. Uh, that helped out a whole lot. And I think the third element of that was the fact that the anti-gunners overreached to a large extent and screamed for all kinds of, uh, you know, gun control, gun prohibition proposals that didn't realize, made people think, well, I better get my gun now before they say I can't have one mm-hmm. or get a second gun before I can't get my second gun. And I think that those three things contributed to that a whole lot. And then right at the end of the year, actually after the poll was taken, but something that happened, I think, may have awakened some people, as you have in New York City, the New York Police Department, NYPD, saying, you know what, we're just not going to arrest a lot of people. We're basically, their arrests are down 75% as a result of the attacks on them. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But I think a lot of citizens are looking at that and going, wow, they may not be here to protect me. Of course, the rest of us, Alan, have have been thinking, yeah, you know, that's actually been the case all along. But welcome to the party. You've just awakened to the reality of it all. Yeah, when the media starts to talk about it a bit and, and it becomes headlines on front page of newspapers, then people start to take more notice. And I think that does help us out a whole lot as well. All right. Well, let's talk about I-594. If you would give folks just a little background on what happened with the election what the uh, the issues were and kind of where we are, and that will bring us right up to your latest effort on this. Well, Initiative 594 was in Washington State. It was a Bloomberg-funded uh, proposed uh, anti-gun proposal uh, that was unfortunately got lots of half a dozen or so billionaires to put in millions of dollars so that we were outspent, you know, uh, 12 to 1, so to speak, and it passed, you know, by the voters. And the initiative basically was sold as a background check but the truth of the matter is it goes far beyond background checks. It expanded the state gun registration database, for one. But for two, it talked about temporary transfers and loans of firearms in ways that made them basically illegal and criminalized legal behavior. So that example, if you came to visit me in Washington State, Tom, and I wanted to lend you my handgun for self-protection, we'd have a problem because we'd have to go to a licensed gun dealer for you to do a background check on you. And because you're not a resident of Washington State, they wouldn't do it. So hence, you wouldn't have, have a means to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. Or likewise, we don't know about if you've tried to bring your gun to Washington State uh, and a baggage handler had the gun, and gun 
uh, because that's considered a transfer under the law, you know, uh, would you get arrested at the airport? So there's lots of problems with this. Those are just a couple of them, which mm-hmm. brings us up to the point that we just this past week filed a federal lawsuit against this initiative as being unconstitutionally vague uh, and basically a prohibition measure in some people and want those parts of the initiative struck down by a federal court. Let me explain to people what we're talking about. One of the things that the uh, State Game Department, the hunter safety instructors, they put out a, uh, a memo. See if I get this right, exactly what happened. Among other things, they said, look, here's the deal. We don't quite understand what this means in terms of hunter safety instruction, but here's what we think it means. If one of your students wants to borrow a gun from another student in the class, that's illegal. But if that needs to happen, what you do is you have your student hand the gun to the instructor, and then the instructor hands the gun to the other student, and that would be authorized. Is that what I read? That's what you read. It's very stretched. I mean, basically, under federal law, that would then become a straw man transfer, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem they have there is they, they think that's okay because they're saying that the uh, instructors take on a responsibility or a role of being a law enforcement member. But nowhere in the law or nowhere any, in any other law in Washington State, it's firearms instruct, state, in state instructor for the hunter safety classes, you know, from the Fish and Game Department, nowhere are they considered to be law enforcement officers. So I don't even know where they come up with that to begin with. They're, you know, they're, they're trying to say their instructors wouldn't be in jeopardy because they don't want all their classes to fall through. But the truth of the matter is lots of ca- classes for hunter safety and other safety classes for firearms in Washington State have already been canceled because of that. Because a lot of times the youngsters who are going through hunter safety classes, they don't have firearms, so they come and they borrow a firearm to use in the class, or they're sharing guns, and that now it actually is quite prohibited. And here's the weird part. If you, see if I understand this right. If I, as a student, borrow a gun from somebody and they do the transfer to me, transfer in this case means handing it to me, literally handing it to me, that is one crime. When I hand it back, that's a second crime. That becomes a second offense, and that becomes a felony. Unfortunately, that's the way the law is worded, and that's the problems with this law. So while the souls of the public is a background check to keep guns out of the hands of criminals, which all of us support, you know, uh, the problem is that's not what 594 is really all about. It's really a very punitive measure that tries to criminalize lawful behavior and, and, and demonize guns, gun owners, and make it difficult for, for, for gun owners to be able to do what we do normally. In every other state of the country. One of the things I want to make sure that people understand is why are we spending so much time on this? It's because the anti-gun groups, the gun ban groups, have said Washington was our test case. If we can get it through there, we know we can take it to other states. They did get it through there. We know that they already are uh, working on getting it into Nevada and Arizona and other states. Why did you file this in federal court? Well, for a number of reasons. One, we're saying it, it basically runs afoul of our Second Amendment rights, which have now been through the McDonald decision, which, you know, case by the Supreme Court, which also was the Second Amendment Foundation case. It's incorporated to the states, and the state can't, it cannot infringe on that Second Amendment right. But also, we have a very strong state constitution that we claim there as well. And we're going through uh, some federal case law that shows that when states pass laws that are uh, so vague that no one knows how to enforce those laws. Uh, the average person, you know, can't be expected to comply with them, especially in our state when the police don't even know what to do with it to comply with it. Uh, and so we're asking the federal court to strike it down. And we think we have a better chance in federal court than we have in state court to do it. It also allows us to take this up on appeal, maybe all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court if needed. 
Wow. Okay. Hold on a second here, Alan. I want to uh, follow up on that. And then also we'll talk about looking into our crystal ball. What are we looking at for 2015? We know that Bloomberg and crew are going to use this as their, their model, their template to go after guns in a lot of places. Also, we have, we always said this, registration is always, always, always followed by confiscation. It started in New York State. You go in and say, hey, I've got insomnia. Can I get something for that? And they come and take your guns away. Not not theory. It's been done. It's there. Confiscation following registration. This is Gun Talk. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Michael Bain. You know I hate cleaning guns. So anything that makes that job faster and easier is definitely a plus. And that's where bore tips come in. These reusable, lint-free cleaning swabs make cleaning a breeze. And the tighter-fitting bore tips do a better job on barrels than cotton mops or patches. Hey, it's a dirty job. Let bore tips help. To find a dealer, visit boretips.com. The 45 Auto, also known as the 1911, is the standard other defensive pistols are measured against. No matter what pistol you carry, techniques developed around the 1911 are vital. You know you need training. And you know your concealed carry class definitely was not training. Now Gun Talk presents an exciting DVD, Fighting with the 1911 with Tiger McKee. Tiger's unique training style will have you drawing, moving, shooting, and running your gun better, no matter what style pistol you prefer. At ShopGunTalk.com, you can order our DVDs of Tiger's instruction. ShopGunTalk.com also has a two-DVD set, including Concealed Carry 1. Get both for the information you know you need. This really is life and death. ShopGunTalk.com has DVDs, books, and other essential gear. ShopGunTalk.com. That's ShopGunTalk.com. You already know Liberty Safes are great values. Now they're offering an even sweeter deal for Gun Talk listeners. At LibertySafe.com, click on the Fat Boy Safe and type in Tom. Liberty will give you up to $250 off your purchase. Protect the things you value most. LibertySafe.com, click the Fat Boy Safe. Promo code TOM, save up to 250 That's LibertySafe.com. LibertySafe.com. The 100% American-made Ruger American Rifle is now paired with the 100% American-made Redfield Revolution 4-Plex Rifle Scope, making it an American icon in rifle scope package offer. The Ruger American Rifle with Redfield Revolution Rifle Scope maintains all of the features of the full-size Ruger American Rifle and also includes a Redfield Revolution 3-9x40 Rifle Scope that offers resettable stainless steel finger-click AccuTrack adjustment. The Ruger American Rifle with Redfield Revolution Rifle Scope. Another American-made product from Ruger. All right, back with you. 866-TALK-GUN gets you in here. I'm Tom Gresham. You can also send me an email, tom at guntalk.com. If you... Look, you would buy a lottery ticket where the chances of winning are like none, (laughs) pretty much. Uh, But we've got uh, an even better deal. We've got a giveaway, giving away a Springfield Armory... Firearm, an XD Mod 2, 3-inch barrel, 40 Smith & Wesson Bitone. Going to give this thing away at the end of the month. All you have to do to enter for a chance to win is go to guntalk.com slash win, W-I-N. guntalk.com slash win. 
get it for a chance to pick up the Springfield Armory XD Mod 2 and 40 S&W. Cool gun. Oh, yeah, by the way, we give away weekly prizes, so people are winning stuff every week. So the sooner you enter, the better your chances are of winning something. We're talking with Alan Gottlieb from the Second Amendment Foundation, talking about the I-594 and SAF, the Second Amendment Foundation, just filed a federal lawsuit challenging that on the basis of, well, several things, violation of Second Amendment, it's unconstitutionally vague. Uh, Alan, one of the things that strikes me is that I-594 was presented as being a simple background check bill, but it was 18 pages long. It doesn't take 18 pages to say something about background checks. No, it could have been done in one page very easily if they didn't want to put all these other strict regulations in there and expand the state registration database as well. Uh, and, of course, this was a model, as you mentioned earlier, uh, for them to take and roll out. They've already rolled it out in Nevada, where they already qualified it with enough signatures to be on the 2016 ballot in Nevada. Mm-hmm. And they're planning on starting to collect signatures in Arizona. Uh, so this is, this is one of the problems we face, because when you put multi-millions of dollars into advertising with uh, just, you know, a couple key catchwords, like, you know, background check, and don't talk about what's really in the bill, it, it becomes a very big problem for us to defend. You know, I know people, and I've heard them for years say it, you've heard them, where they say, well, you know what, they can't really make much headway because we have the Second Amendment. And I want to tell them, you know, you only have the Second Amendment until you don't. And anything we have can go away. And it goes away piece by piece, and that's how we fight it, is piece by piece. But in this case, this is a battle of dollars and media coverage. This is really a media battle, is it not? Yeah, it's always been a media battle. The difference now, though, is is that we're taking a look at, you know, Bloomberg put $50 million into his gun control uh, effort this year alone. And you're looking at now he's picked up people like, you know, Warren Buffett, who's on his board, uh, Bill Gates, put in over a million dollars, uh, Paul Allen, who put in over a half a million dollars, uh, a number of other billionaires putting in an excess of a million dollars each into, into this. And we can expect that to happen every year. And Gabby Giffords, of course, has a multi-billion dollar, million dollar pack now uh, to, to push gun control legislation and anti-gun candidates. They've now built this infrastructure financed by all kinds of big donors that, unfortunately, the gun rights movement just doesn't have these kind of big donors. We, we survive on 15 and $25 membership fees, you know, and donations. Mm-hmm. So it's really difficult for us to compete with the dollars being spent against us, especially when it's aided and abetted by millions of dollars of free publicity the media gives them. All right, let me ask you something. I just got an email from somebody that says, you know, a lot of us don't agree with Alan on background checks. And I'm thinking... Okay, I'm not sure exactly. I think I know where he's going with this, and that is there are people who say, well, you know, you should be fighting to end all background checks and not saying that, you know, this is the wrong kind of background check. Can we talk about political reality for a minute? Sure. I mean, political reality is is all those polls that you see that show, you know, uh, 70, 80% of people supporting background checks and the majority of gun owners supporting background checks. Those aren't fake polls. Those are real polls that have been reduplicated hundreds of times across the country. And, of course, we saw it in Washington State when it made a ballot measure on a ballot that it passed overwhelmingly as well. So the problem is that we have to deal with a little bit of political reality here, and that is the American people don't want guns in the hands of criminals, uh, and they're, they're going to pass background checks. If the, our enemies write those background checks. They don't write them in a way that we can live with. They write them in a way that, that is meant to harm Second Amendment rights. If we were to write those laws, we can write them in a way that doesn't do any damage to us. 
So I've always been saying that we need to preempt the other side and take the issue away from them so that they can't run wild with it, which we're now seeing, and it's not coming to fruition. And so the problem here is is that, you know, if we lived in a vacuum where uh, the American public was not concerned about criminals getting their hands on guns, hey, nobody would be supporting background checks. But the bottom line is, you know, and I agree with the philosophy, you shouldn't have to go through a background check to exercise a constitutional right. But we also have a demand for public safety, and constitutional rights aren't, you know, 100% uniform. You don't get to, you get to determine that they're 100% perfect. You try to fight to get them to that point. But the thing is, is we're in a losing battle on background checks, and if gun owners need to wake up and realize it, seize the initiative here, write a background check in a way where there is no registration system, where people don't keep the data, where there are no, no, no crazy fees attached to it so that you can't afford it or discourages gun ownership, and, and make these things in a way that, that's, that's easy, simple, uh, and, and doesn't infringe on our rights. If we don't do that, we're giving the other side all this ammunition with the American public to basically you know, uh, you know, put a knife in our back, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So, you know, when we can, we, we, we fight it any way we can. I mean, I put more time and money into fighting this 594 initiative in Washington State than anybody else who claims that they're for no kind of background check, period. Uh, and I'm the one who's raising the money to be able for the Second Amendment Foundation to file the suit to knock out a good chunk of this background check law. And, and uh, let me, and ju- let me is- jump in. and uh, Let me make sure people understood. There was something that went by real fast in there. Alan Gottlieb says you shouldn't have to have a background check to exercise your constitutional rights. We agree on that. But we got to deal with what is and not what we wish was, and then we got to work on that. Is that a fair ass- assessment? It sure is. I mean, politics is not the art of the perfect, it's the art of the possible. And, you know, you need to realize that, because if you play this all-or-nothing game, a lot of times you end up with nothing. And that's the case with the background checks, except there won't be background checks. It will be registration. It will be all kinds of things that make it impossible for you to use your firearms to shoot or loan them to your neighbor or loan them to your friend. Uh, you know, it, it's really going to be really, really bad. And, it's, and you know, we're seeing this now, and I've been predicting this is going to happen for a number of years, and it's fallen on a lot of deaf ears in the gun rights community. Uh, in fact, they're taking a lot of arrows for it, but the fact is it's a reality, and we have to deal with realities, not the way we'd like the world to be, but we have to deal with it the way it really is. There it is. Hey, Alan, we're simply out of time. We'll pick this up again uh, very soon, and we'll talk about uh, 2015 looking down the road there. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you, Tom. All right, you take care. Yeah. Well, there you have it. What do you think? Also, you see the story about the toddler who shot his mother in the store? What'd you think of that? Have you taken your family, friends, and kids shooting lately? You're listening to Tom Gresham's Gun Talk, and we'll be right back. Want to be a guest on the show? Drop us a line at info at guntalk.com. You're listening to Gun Talk with Tom Gresham. All right, we are open lines for you right now. If you'd like to join us, something on your mind, you disagree with our guests, you disagree with me, that's okay. Uh, we'll have that conversation. If you've got a range report, something you got, something you've taken out to the range and shot, we'd like to hear about that. Our number is 866-TALK-GUN, or just, just dial one and then Tom Talk Gun. that'll get you in here. If you'd like to shoot me an email, tom at guntalk.com. Uh, over on Twitter, I'm at GunTalk, and I hope you have the GunTalk app on your smartphone, either iPhone or Android. It's available there. You can listen to GunTalk wherever you go. 866-TALK-GUN. Bob's called in from Richmond, Indiana, on line three. Hey, Bob, how are you? Oh, I'm okay. Uh, 
Tom, I have a short story that leads up to a serious question. Okay. In uh, 1966, I bought a Colt Python for $110 from a department store. <laughs> what, anyway, how would you like? Would you like to double your money? <laughs> I know. So um, I had no problem at all with 38 loads and also 357 because it's a relatively heavy gun. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I have a Smith and Wesson 360 PD, a real snub-nosed pocket pistol. Mm-hmm. I've never shot it yet. I think I could probably handle the 38, but I'm afraid to handle the 357. Is that going to break my wrist? <laughs> well, you are one smart guy, let me just tell you, because you are wise to be wary. Uh, no, it's not going to break your wrist, but it is not going to be fun to shoot. Um, the, the reality is physics, as they say, is everywhere the same. And with your python, it's a heavier gun. It, it can handle the three fifty seven. And people need to make no mistake, three fifty seven is a lot more powerful than a thirty eight in most cases. So when you shoot a three fifty seven Magnum round in a little bitty lightweight revolver, it I mean, it stings. It hurts. Five rounds of that will leave your hand hurting. Now, if you had to use it for self-defense, you probably would never even notice it. But if it were me, when I'm shooting one of these lightweight snubbies, I shoot nothing but 38s in it at the range. Uh, I might shoot a couple of 357s just to make sure that it works and it doesn't lock up. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with shooting 38 Special in there, especially the Plus P with the good bullets we have these days. That's a good self-defense load. So if you didn't want to carry three fifty-seven, you could always just go with thirty-eight. Yeah. So, but, but you're smart to be aware of that, and you're exactly right. When you start shooting magnum loads and a lightweight revolver, it's it's going to buck, and you know that's just physics. It's just the nature of the beast. Bob, listen, I appreciate your call. Uh, Greg's online too. He's out of Renton, Washington. What are you thinking about buying here, Greg? <laughs> uh, well, I am looking at getting my first AR. And as a Ruger guy, I love Rugers, um, mm-hmm. I've been looking at the SR-556 and, of course, the SR-762. Okay. And I'm wondering if I'm being just, like, overbearing and, like, wanting to get the 762 or if there's if I should just, hey, be happy and, and get a 556. i got to save up for either one of them. But is there any, other than the caliber, is there anything that I should take into consideration in, in you know, comparing one to the other? Well, that is the only difference, is the caliber. But the caliber is all the difference, which is if you're having to... Let me just throw this out. If you're having to save up to buy the rifle, let's think about this. If you're going to be a shooter, not just somebody buys the rifle and sticks it in the corner, ammo costs are significant. And 5.56 ammo or two two three ammo, you can shoot either in it, is seriously less expensive than three oh eight or 7.62 uh, by 51 NATO, which is the round fired in the SR-762, you will save on the order of close to half by going with a 5.56. Okay. Question, here's my question for you. Are you going to hunt with it, or are you just going to shoot at the range and have fun with it, just going to be your fun gun? Uh, it's just uh, shoot at the range. I, I've never gone hunting, but I'm considering trying it. Just to, mm-hmm. uh, I'm expanding my, my world as it, you know, in terms sure. of guns and stuff like that. So um, I'm not opposed to either, but uh, I'm sure that either would bring down a deer. 
So. <laughs> yeah, well, if you use the right ammo, uh, the 5.56 will. I'm going to say go with the 5.56 first. Later on, if you really get into it and you say, okay, I really now I need the 7.62, you can always get that as a second rifle. But for your first one, go with the 5.56. You'll be able to get ammo so much cheaper. uh, It'll really make it uh, a much more pleasurable experience for you. Thanks, Greg. I I wish you luck with it. Those are very good choices, by the way. I think Ruger makes really good MSRs, modern sporting rifles. Hey, uh, Larry is on line one in Waco, Texas. Hello, Larry. Uh, Hello. Hi, Hi, Tom. I uh, am a Christian man, and I've been doing a lot of research in the Word for years, and I've uh, been listening to Mark Levin say that uh, that our states, in a sense, need to be honored in some way, you know, bring things back. So what I've noticed is that the political party system has crept in to the ground that we hold, you know, in, as far as the sovereignty of the state and the sovereignty of the voter, mm-hmm. and that we are honoring the political parties instead of the state and the voters. And I believe this started in the states. I think the parties got hold of the states, and then they honored the political parties beyond the state and the voter. So I believe that if the people of America would demand that that they remove political party as the basis of the leadership, like we've got this Speaker of the House and these other things, Mm -hmm. have nothing to do with the people, we could get the country back. Plus, I uh, you know, I, 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 wait, wait, wait. I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think you're actually on a what would we like to see basis. That would actually be pretty cool if we had no political parties. Uh, unfortunately, that you know, <laughs> we've always had them and we have them, and that's the basis. But to your point, it's interesting you mentioned this. I recently was thinking about this and thinking, you know, when I hear the discussions about politics and about policy. What I really hear is what's good for my party or what's good for the other party or how can we hurt the other party? And what I'm not hearing is what's good for the people out there. I, you know, got to tell you, I'm not a fan of the Democrats. I'm less and less a fan of the Republicans. And the more I look at it, the more I'm thinking libertarian or third party or somebody. You can't say I'm just not going to participate because that's not the answer. But we need some options out there because I think the two major parties are actually more beholding to their parties than they are to us. 866-TALK-GUN. This is Gun Talk. If you're looking for a safe and trusted way to sell your firearms, look no further than Dury's Gun Shop. I trusted them to sell my dad's collection. They built their business for over 50 years on honesty and customer service. Dury's Guns will buy any size collection or estate, none too big or too small. Selling your firearms to Dury's Guns is easy. Go with the pros. I trust Dury's Guns. Dury'sGuns.com. six years, the U.S. Sportsmen's Alliance has been fighting to protect hunting, fishing, and trapping for sportsmen from coast to coast. Today, we are under constant attack from extremist animal rights groups who want to end your ability to hunt in the U.S. Join us to protect our sporting heritage and our way of life outdoors. To join or for more information on how you can help, go to ussportsmen.org. That's ussportsmen.org. Every day, long 
law enforcement agencies worldwide put their trust in the HSD bullet from Federal Premium Ammunition. Built to protect our streets and defend our freedoms, HST and its iconic mushroom provide reliable and consistent performance. That same technology is now available for your personal defense needs when protecting your home and defending your family. Personal Defense HST. Proven, trusted performance. Federal Premium Ammunition. Every shot counts. The world can be a dangerous place. Gear up with the industry's original and most trusted laser sighting system from Crimson Trace. Equipping your firearm with laser and light systems will enhance your effectiveness and help keep you and your family out of harm's way. Call 800-442-2406 or visit crimsontrace.com and receive a free copy of our new laser training video, The Laser's Edge, Crimson Trace. time of year for the resolutions what am i going to do you know we all look at it and say what can we do better what can i do for myself lose weight stop smoking yada yada but on the gun side there actually are some things you can do where you just make up your mind and that's what you're going to do and do it i'm going to get involved in competitive shooting i'm going to get involved in idpa because i think that would probably be good training or help me become better at concealed carry or whatever it is. What's on your list? Become a uh, an instructor? That would be actually a very good thing. They've always said, I've always heard people say, you don't really learn to do something until you start teaching it. And I think that's probably true to some extent. Anyway, just uh, food for thought. What's on your list? 866-TALK-GUN. Did you, I know you saw the story. Hayden, Idaho, Woman has a gun in her purse, toddler, we're told two two years old, obviously could be somewhere between two and three, gets the gun out of the purse or fires the gun in the purse. I was never quite sure on that. Gun goes off, kills the mother. And I did like a lot of us did. Wow, I just jumped to conclusions. Wow, that's such a bad idea. You can't have a gun loose in a purse, blah, blah, blah. Turns out, this is an experienced shooter. She had the gun in a purse made for guns in a holster compartment. Evidently, the toddler unzipped the compartment. Now, the gun was in the cart, I gather, next to the toddler. I've never been much of a fan of off-body carry. Putting a gun in a purse or a satchel or a briefcase or whatever, I, I like it to be on you and if you are going to carry it in a purse, then the purse stays on you always. What's been your take on that? What's your, what were your first thoughts? How do you react to that? What have you said to your friends? Because your friends ask you, if you're the gun person in the group, what do you think of that? What do you think? Line three, Don's with us out of Springfield, Missouri. Hey, Don, how are you? Yeah, great. It's fantastic. Listen, uh, my question is, are you going to get back on TV anytime soon? I'm there right now. I mean, uh, uh, I used to watch the sports, Sportsman's Channel a lot, and they took all mm-hmm. my favorite shows off. Well, we're on Sportsman right now. You are? Yeah. Uh, we're actually, see, here's the deal. Here's how we run it. For six months of the year, we run on the Pursuit Channel, 
And that's from July through the end of the year. And then at the first of the year, January to the middle of the year, we're on Sportsman Channel with both of our shows. So if you'll scan, and I don't, unfortunately, I don't have those channels right in front of me, but whatever your Sportsman Channel is, uh, check it out. You'll be able to find our shows. One is called Guns and Gear. The other is called Gun Talk, and they are currently running on Sportsman Channel right now. Good. Very good. Great. Thank you. All right, good deal. I appreciate you asking. Give me a chance to talk about it. Uh, line two, Maurice is in uh, Alabama. Hey, Maurice. Yes, sir. Hello. I do have one comment with all sorrow and all respect for the lady who was killed. Mm-hmm. I have to think that that trigger was too easy to pull if a two-year-old could pull it. I don't know for sure, but I read one report that said it was a Smith & Wesson m and I don't know if it was the full size or if it was the shield. Obviously, that would if it, if that is the case, that's a striker fired gun. You're probably looking at a three or four pound trigger pull. The other thing I don't know, and maybe you know if, if you've heard, I don't know if the toddler actually pulled the gun out or just reached into the pocket and in the process of doing that, you know, either shoved it against something or pulled the trigger. Have you heard? I do not know. Have not heard. Okay. Well, yeah, it was a uh, single action. From my understanding, single action or, or striker fired pistol, um, you know, it's just one of those we're all just as sorry as we can be. And, and yet, I've thought about it and tried to put it into perspective and say, yes, it's horrible, it's tragic. And I would hope that every single one of us takes some quiet time to think about this and say, okay, are there some gaps in the way I'm handling guns? Are there some places where I can do better? And each of us make this a learning experience. Uh, the other thing is, from a perspective standpoint, you know, parents do back over kids in their cars. You know, you hate to say, well, stuff happens because that feels like a cop-out. But in trying to put things into perspective, I, I think that's worthwhile. The other side of that, I guess, is, okay, what do we each pull from this? How do we – how can we be careful? Uh, I got an email from a fella, I don't know, a month or so ago. It really struck with me because this afternoon, my uh, two granddaughters are coming over here, and I made a point to go through the house and make sure there's absolutely not a single loaded gun in this house, other than the one that is on me. If it's not on me, I'm not in control of it. But the email from him said, it was kind of a take on the, all guns are always loaded. He said, all grandchildren are always present. And you can modify that however you want. All children are always present. All children can always get to stuff. I don't know that a a heavier trigger pull is the answer. I don't think that's the way to go. And I've heard people say, well, that's why I wouldn't keep around in the chamber. Yeah, well, just saw a report of a grandfather that had a shootout with three home invaders who were trying to rape his daughter. A lot of ammo was consumed. I don't know that I want to give up one round in my gun. So we, we go with other methods. What was your take on this? What do you think? Did it make you review your own safety measures when it comes to gun handling? 866-TALK-GUN. 
You don't have to agree with Tom to participate in the show. Call now with any of your concerns about guns, gun rights, or particular firearms, or suggestions for your shooting activity or personal protection. 1-866-825-5486. Gun Talk is coming right back. Keep talking about gun safety. Ken's called in from Lexington, Kentucky on four. Ken, you got an interesting question. Uh, yeah, Tom, I was wondering. Uh, I've got a three fifty seven Magnum Smith and Wesson revolver, mm-hmm. and uh, I've got my wife. Uh, it's like for home protection for her. And she asked me if she dropped the gun, if it was dropped with a loaded round in the chamber, would it would it discharge and with the hammer down, you know, not being cocked. And I mm-hmm. said, you know, I really didn't know for sure. I said, I know some guns have a a, lo- a blocking mechanism, and it won't really mm-hmm. fire unless the uh, trigger's pulled all the way in. But I wasn't really sure, and I thought, well, I, I told her, I said, well, I'll call Tom. You'll know. How old is the revolver? Well, it's an older model, but, I mean, it's, it, it looks brand new. I mean, it's really nice. Now, when you say, oh, wait, 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 I need details. Are you talking about a 100-year-old older model, or what are we talking about here? No, it's not. It's. I don't know if it's uh, like a Model 19. It's okay. not a real old gun, but it's yeah. I mean, it would be it would 70. yeah. It, it would be extremely rare. I'm trying to think of a scenario where it could. I, yeah, you don't ever want to say never, but I would say almost assuredly no. That the gun was not going to fire if the hammer is down, you let go of it. If the trigger's not being pulled, uh, if it just hits the ground, the chances of it going off are somewhere around nil would be my my take on that. I I just I wouldn't worry about it, man. Yeah. Okay. Uh yeah, I, I think you're okay. It shouldn't be a problem at all. Let me ask you this. Now one thing I want to make sure that we're on the same page on. She has this gun for self defense for in the home? Uh, yes, sir. Okay, does she, does she shoot the gun at all? She has shot it a little bit and we you know, and I'm in the process of getting her some more training, you know, some more shooting time and stuff too, but I keep it at the house. And she did get her concealed carry license, although she's not carrying right now. She needs mm-hmm. more training, and she she won't be carrying that gun. I'm eventually going to get her a little hammerless, probably a Ruger or something like that. You know, for you know, with, right? But right. she needs more shooting time, and uh, she's not shot at a whole lot. But she's pretty comfortable with it. If somebody comes okay, in the I, house, I'm I just sure. want to make sure that she understands that in a self, she should never shoot that gun by cocking the hammer. That's that's the point I want to make here. You always fire that gun simply by pulling the trigger. You never cock the hammer on it. Your self-defense gun on a revolver, you don't cock the hammer on it. Because when you do that, it changes the trigger pull from you know 10 pounds or so down to 2 pounds or so. And if you don't shoot a lot, and I mean being a truly an expert, you can't handle a 2-pound trigger. and You're liable to get startled and pull the trigger and shoot it when you don't intend to. So she should be trained and told never, ever, 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 ever cock the hammer on that revolver. That way she never gets into the habit of doing that. Listen, I appreciate the call, sir. Had a, uh, Somebody called in, didn't want to stay on the uh, radio with us, but he's asking about uh, Austin, Texas police chief. Uh, huh, interesting. Uh, Art Arcevedo. I probably mispronounced that. But he basically was saying they had a shooting in uh, Austin about a month ago. 
He's saying, look, if you know anybody who hates people and has a lot of guns, especially uh, these evil kind of guns, you need to call us and let us know so we can vet them. Excuse me? Your job is to enforce the law. Your job is not to vet people. So if somebody has a particular kind of gun or has a lot of guns, you know what I would be really tempted to do? I would be tempted to organize... A bit of a protest, a little bit of civil disobedience, if you will, or just a little bit of a group action. And I'm sorry for the officers that would suffer from this, but I would start calling the police department, and I would start reporting people who have guns, lots of guns. I'd start with the police chief. I would get his home address. I would call and say, there's a guy who lives at this address who's got a lot of guns. And I would go down the line, and I would report everybody on the police department. Let him start investigating. You think he might get the... You know, look, I'm not sorry for the officers involved, but hey, someone's got to get control of a police chief who thinks he needs to vet us because we have guns. No black helicopters here. Just the facts about gun rights and gun ownership. This is Gun Talk.